So good morning. Merry Christmas. Um, this isn't news to you all, but just a reminder of the way that over the last few weeks of Advent, we've been exploring the theme of home, seeking home, um, being welcomed home, coming home, finding home. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about how Zechariah and Elizabeth offered a home for Mary at the beginning of her pregnancy. Christmas Eve, we wondered together about maybe, whether or not maybe Joseph's family offered them a home in Bethlehem when Mary was giving birth. And the theme continues today in Matthew's Gospel as well. But Matthew's Gospel is a very different story than Luke's. But it also has an arc of home. Home in Matthew's Gospel is Bethlehem a place that was warm and safe until the arrive, arrival of the Magi. Now, they're called the wise men, colloquially, uh, but they weren't very wise when they went to see Herod and said, hey, king, uh, we hear there's another king born. Uh, any idea where that might be? Yeah, we hear you're really crazy and paranoid and violent. And we're looking for a baby who might usurp your throne. What do you think? So, obviously, they put Herod on alert. And suddenly, the Holy Family is homeless. Suddenly, the Holy Family are refugees. And they need to find a new place to call home. Over a hostile border to an alien land called Egypt. And Matthew doesn't tell us what happens in Egypt. Um, given the timeline that's suggested in the gospel, maybe Jesus was there for a couple of years. He would have been maybe three, four, when they went back to Bethlehem and then didn't stay in Bethlehem because that was still a little bit too close to Herod's relatives and ultimately settled in a town called Nazareth. But it got Barb and me wondering, what, what about the lifestyle they lived during those silent couple of years? Was the Holy Family constantly on the run from village to village to village, escaping rumors of soldiers or Herod's spies? Did they never have a place to lay their heads for very long? Or what I prefer to imagine is that somewhere along the way, an Egyptian family took them in, realized they needed a place, there were only three of them, they had extra space and extra food or something, and said, come stay with us for a little while, probably not realizing that it would be two years. It makes me think of the very beginning of the pandemic back in uh, March 2020, when our daughter, who was a student of Harvard at the time, said, Ooh, things are getting kind of hot in Cambridge. I'd like to come home if this pandemic thing gets rolling. School's going to shut down. Oh, and can I bring two of my, my college mates with me? And we said, well, yeah, sure, why yeah. not? Thinking it would be, you know, two weeks, right? And it ended up being six months, which was fine. We had space. Um, I went from cooking from two to cooking to five, but they were... They were grateful, and we worked around everybody's allergies, right? Um, it was a delight to have them, and it was, 
it was wonderful, but it was not what we'd expected when we first said yes. And I think that's what makes me wonder if something like that might have happened in Egypt. There was actually a very large, very cosmopolitan Jewish population in Alexandria, Egypt. And perhaps that was a place where they could move right in and be anonymous and be welcomed by folks who maybe even distant kin. Uh, in that way that immigrant communities bond together in a new land, in a strange land. And whatever happened, we imagine that once they were in Nazareth, once Jesus was growing up, he would have been told stories by his mom and his dad. They would have said, remember when you were four years old and you and little Yasir used to run around together out in the backyard? Again, the way we tell our kids stories of when they were little in the Adirondacks, they don't remember it very well, but they've been told the stories of the people that they knew and loved mm. when they were there. I think maybe his first culture that he came to know as a child wasn't the culture of, of his Israeli homeland, it was Egypt. I think I had that in my mind when I was reading the somewhat silent story of Egypt because uh, for me growing up, uh, by the time I was five years old, uh, I'd lived in two foreign countries. And living in Japan was especially, as I, I realize now as an adult, was especially crucial to developing what became my adult worldview. Uh, we lived there for three years, uh, and being immersed in Japanese culture from five years old to eight years old, I got to learn about my parents' culture uh, from other people's eyes. I had only lived in the United States for two years when I was, when I was in Japan. Um, so I got to learn that my parents' culture was not normal or was not the right one, but was, well, just was. Just like the culture I was living in, just was. It was, so, it was such a privilege to, to see my culture from a different perspective at a very young age. Uh, I got to learn from my neighbor, our neighbor Fujisan, and her son, who was a little older than me, how my culture, which I had rarely experienced myself, uh, was seen through their eyes. And it was incredibly helpful to spend time as a stranger, as an alien, as an outsider. Even if I was a pretty privileged outsider, an alien, and stranger. And I think as an adult, it's made it easier for me to notice folks who are feeling like outsiders or aliens now uh, and make, maybe makes it easier to connect with folks who are feeling like outsiders. Which I think is why whenever I'm in a group of people, like at a party or some other large gathering, and I lose Mitch, like you do sometimes, you lose your family member at a large gathering, if I can't find him right away, I start looking for the person who's there who looks the most out of place. And sure enough, that's who Mitch is talking to. I joke all the time, I just look for a woman of color and then I know where you are, <laughs> right? Because 
that's usually someone who stands out in a crowd that we've been in, especially living up in Vermont. In Vermont, yeah. And so that's where, that's just what you gravitate toward mm -hmm. when we're in a group of people. And as we've been thinking about this the last couple of days, we've been wondering what was home to Jesus? This has been our Advent and Christmas theme. Was it Bethlehem? Was it Nazareth? Was it Galilee? As a wandering rabbi, what felt like home for him? Was it Peter's house in Capernaum, where his mom almost always had a meal ready and could expand it out for 12 hungry disciples if they showed up at the last minute? Was it Mary and Martha and Lazarus's home in Bethany? We know that he was friends with, him, with them. Was home just wherever he laid his head, whether it was a manger or whether it was the stern of a fishing boat during a storm, he just made home wherever he was, maybe. But at one point in his ministry, when someone asked, Master, let me follow you, Jesus said, foxes have lairs and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's a clue, perhaps, as to how he viewed home. Maybe home was wherever folk could reflect a bit of his love back. That was his ministry, creating a sense of home to the people around him wherever he was. Maybe that's why he attracted the crowds. He created a sense of home, a sense of belonging, by loving everyone. Especially those who weren't loved by anyone else. So, Jesus' ministry was often to the outsider, the stranger, the marginalized. And they hung out with Jesus because he was home to them when nowhere else could be and no one else would be. And maybe this is attractive to us. Maybe this is personal for us because we live in the itineracy, the United Methodist itineracy. Theoretically, we can be moved any year. That's what it is that we agree to when we get ordained. And because Actually, I'm a, it's only six months. Right? Because I'm a United Methodist pastor's kid, um, I've been living the itineracy my whole life. Um, I've literally lived in parsonages almost all the time of my, of my existence. And so we've learned how to make home, how to bring home, kind of wherever we find ourselves. And sometimes we've had warning that that's going to happen in a little while. This year we had several months of warning. One year, we only had five weeks of warning <laughs> that we were going to pick up and move across to another state. And you, you just learn that you make home wherever you are, and then you hope to show that love to whoever's around you, whether it's people you've been with for a while or whether it's people you're just getting to know. I'm realizing that growing up as a Navy brat was really good practice for the Methodist <laughs> itinerary. There you go. Except the Navy changes their minds about where they move you about four times before you actually get moved. Uh, uh, okay. it was, uh, my mom was not a fan. 
Now, 33 years after we met in seminary and living in Cambridge and Somerville, here we are, back again uh, in Cambridge. And once again, an amazing and terrific place to make home. Uh, And Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church where we've experienced in so many ways your love and God's love reflected back to us, making this feeling like home very quickly. Thank you so much. We're, we're settling in with y'all. Uh, and we're glad, so glad and blessed to be here with you and glad to be on the home-making adventure with you all in this place. Glad to be on God's adventure with you in this place. And as we've learned about Harvard Epworth, we've been struck at the ways that this congregation makes home for other people Mm -hmm. who are transient. The way this congregation itself becomes a spiritual home for people who know they're on a transient place. They're here as students. They're here for the beginning of their career, maybe. And they know they're not going to be here a long time, but this congregation welcomes them in with open arms. And the ways that this church ministers to those who are are unhoused right here in Cambridge, feeding and clothing and supporting outdoor church and doing all of those things. The way this church has supported a Salvadoran family, um, along with Ecuadorian. Other, excuse me, Ecuadorian family. Thank you, along with other congregations um, that was living at University Lutheran for a while, and that family has just now moved into an apartment and starting their own business. They're getting their feet underneath them, and even as that chapter um, shifts. We're aware that there are Afghan refugees coming into this country, and so keeping our, our ears open and our connections open, our hearts um, open for how can we help or be part of church groups that help to settle Afghan refugees into this area. So many possibilities of helping to create home for people who need it. And we, as a community of faith, are, are starting a new year. Uh, and looking at beginning new ministries in 2022. And we're wondering together, how, how are the ways that Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church can be home for ourselves, for each other, for our neighborhood, for those we don't know yet? How do we, come, how do we become even more a place where people feel they belong, where they are beloved. Making a home for each other and making a home for those we don't know yet is, in a sense, how we make a home for Jesus, for those with whom Jesus hung out during his ministry. It may be that those who need a place called home can find home here, just the way folks found a home around Jesus. And the challenge before us right now is, how do we create home in a community that's partly here and partly not here? That we're not live streaming this morning just brings that into even sharper focus. 
How do we maintain our connections across that? And so with all these questions in mind, we want to share with you this morning a poem by Howard Thurman that maybe you've heard before, but it always resonates with us this time of year. Um, Howard Thurman was the Dean of Chapel at the Boston University School of Theology in the 50s and 60s. He was a mentor to Dr. Martin Luther King when he was getting his doctorate there. And so hear this poem. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, then the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. May this be so. Amen. We don't have a song after the sermon.